0: We are in our series uh, reminding ourselves of the vision that God has given us. Uh, we, we ultimately uh, and rightly treat the Bible as our place of authority. But we have sort of drawn out some phrases which are on the banner there of proclaiming Jesus to people today, of making disciples, building God's kingdom, praying for revival, planting new churches, and reaching the nations. As a summary way of saying this is kind of the... Uh, the heartbeat or the life or the the rationale in our church. And we're on making disciples. We've been on it for a little while. We could stay on it forever because that is our onward task. We're not going to be on it together forever, but we are trying to focus on particular areas of discipleship. And this morning, we're continuing what Phil began last week uh, with um, the PowerPoint. Alan, if you could just pop that up, and then we'll come to the video in a moment. There we are, making disciples, generosity and giving. Uh, it's part two, Phil uh, spoke really well last week, a really uh, great word, it's online if you missed it or want to uh, recapture what he said, wonderfully online. God has a lot to say about giving, God has a lot to say to us as a people about what we do with our life and the things that we, we call our own. Uh, All of us are in the same boat in this regard, all of us are learners, all of us are following Jesus, the great master, and I pray that he would speak to us. His ways aren't naturally our ways, but he calls us to rethink and reimagine and be re-envisioned for his ways. Watch this little film that uh, kind of tries to say something about this, the challenge of God, the challenge of God's kingdom for us today. We're all challenged for all followers of a new kingdom and a new way. It's uh, based on the Beatitudes, as uh, you probably gathered and uh, we had in our prayer time. I want us to just introduce our uh, theme this morning by telling you uh, about an ancient legend. There's going to be a little hand that comes up, I think, Alan. There we go, an ancient legend. It's about a monk who found a very precious gem. Imagine like a diamond, a precious jewel of great, great wealth. And a short time later, the monk met a traveler who said that he was hungry and asked the monk if he could share some of his provisions. When the monk opened his bag, the traveler saw inside the precious stone and on an impulse, Asked the monk if he could have it. Amazingly, the monk took the stone out of the bag and gave this precious jewel to the traveler. The traveler departed quickly, thinking he's going to change his mind. Overjoyed with this amazing new possession. However, a few days later, he came back searching for the monk. And as he approached the monk, he opened his hand, and in it was the stone, and passed it back to the monk with this request Please give me something more valuable, more precious than this stone. Please give me that which enabled you to give this to me. Matthew, in the Gospel chapter six, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food, and is the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not more valuable? Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If That is God, how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Generosity, it's a revolutionary way of living. Truly is. I came across this little graphic, I thought that's really clever. You'll work it out in a moment, for those who like anagrams. Uh, just to briefly, uh, a reminder, 17 out of, the, uh, of Jesus' 38 parables spoke about possessions. 30, uh, 17 out of 38. Did you know that possessions are mentioned 2,172 times in Scripture? That's three times more than it mentions love, seven times more than it mentions prayer, and eight times more than belief. Amazing, isn't it? And about 15% of God's word deals with possessions. Why? It's important, isn't it? Not because God thinks our stuff is the most important thing about us. That's not what he's saying. Well, I'll talk about it because that's the most important thing. But he talks about it so often, and scripture is given for our teaching and training because how we handle our stuff, especially. The stuff of money. It's kind of like a diagnostic tool. It's a litmus test that reveals how we are doing with the very things that are truly important. Where we invest our treasure on earth plays a huge role in our spiritual health. And Phil rightly drew us to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 last week. Someone asked John Rockefeller, of all people, a hugely wealthy man, how much. Wealth does it take to satisfy a person? He replied, just a little bit more. And an old Roman proverb says this, Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, gives us something like a manifesto for discipleship. It's really great, wonderful, life-transforming life transforming Inspirational teaching. And in it, as we've read, he warns followers of of God, us, about seeking security for ourselves and our living outside the kingdom of God by teaching about treasures. Treasures are those things that we keep because we place value on them. And we all have them. You can all nod at this point. Yeah, I have treasures. Treasures in heaven? Yeah, but most likely treasures too on earth. They can be of great wealth and could be auctioned off or sold off by estate agents or the like for a great amount of earthly value. Or they could have no earthly value at all. But we keep them safe and precious. I once came across a truth that um, if if your house burns down, one of the things that insurance companies will ask you is, did you, did you manage to save your photo albums? It was probably from a day and age before they went digital. And the answer was really telling. If people generally said, yes, we've managed to rescue our photo albums, it would raise a moment of concern because people put, the them great treasures, they're irreplaceable, aren't they? In the old days, those, those kind of uh, photos in your album, precious things, precious memories. And it would indicate, likely, that the house was burnt down on purpose because they were able to rescue the thing that was most precious. No earthly value, but treasures. Nevertheless, we treasure things. We might have a safe at home or in a bank. Interesting, isn't it, that we call a box a safe? Uh, Its uh, definition in a dictionary is a place or receptacle to keep articles as provisions or valuables. Safe or protect it treasures as I said are not just material things, they can be things like reputation you could treasure a relationship with another person or your your reputation of that of a job or a career or fame or the company that you have founded or set up or worked for maybe your home we all treasure things Jesus speaks to each one of us and says, treasure God. Treasure God and his realm more than anything else. Remember he says in summation of the whole of the Old Testament, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. In other words, treasure him. Hold to him and to things that are dear to him. Protect and aid his purposes. Treasure his ways. we know that only wisdom and safety and enlightenment lies in so treasuring God. Everyone has treasures. It's part of being human. When I was probably the age of that photograph that I didn't know was on the screen, my treasure in the whole world was Sammy the Seal. A little brown, tatty thing. And uh, Sammy the Seal would get put in my suitcase when I went places, I'd always, you know, well, you know what you mean? We have to be able to go to sleep in order to have Sammy the seal. And Sammy would smell and Sammy would get dribbled on and dragged around. And occasionally mum would wash Sammy and he'd never be the same after being washed. And eventually Sammy's stuffing started to fall out. And I know, <laughs> this isn't a, a request for you to find a replacement Sammy, by the way my 40th birthday week. I don't want a whole deluge of avalanche of Sammy's. (laughs) But I think mum and dad took the rational decision that Sammy could go and they had plenty of other stuffed toys. But I treasured Sammy and the others didn't quite match up. Read the stories of people in concentration camps or those living in extreme poverty. Or notice a homeless person before you pass by. And people go to great lengths and will even risk their lives to hold on to things that are precious to them that might seem ridiculous to us. A little locket with a photograph. The film in Castaway. Tom Hanks Ball, Wilson. Treasures. No one is without some treasure. The old letter, the memento, and an ornament. And You know, we reveal what our treasures are by what we try to protect or secure or keep. Maybe worthless or maybe of great value. You see, treasure isn't really the issue. Really, the issue is what is our treasuring? Not really the thing, but what attitude we have towards it. Our treasurings. Treasuring things on earth is not a clever strategy, Jesus says. Treasures on earth, by definition, cannot be held intact. Thieves... Come and steal them, moths. You notice some people commented on my nice jacket. I, one of the answers, because I was in mind of my sermon, was just to shake out the moths from it. You know, because if I don't use it, they it take residence. And rust will destroy. Even in our modern twenty first century, cyberspace isn't entirely space of the cloud. Viruses or dreaded power cuts. You know, just before I, I come to print off my sermon, I've always, or you know, if you're doing a dissertation or a big essay, you're saving it like mad. Heaven forbid the power crashes and you lose all your work. Things of this world cannot be held intact. We only have to look back a few years and live in the present day of the financial crash and crisis to recognize how flimsy these things we put security in, treasures, really are. And Jesus is wise he says if you think about it everything in life will die or perish or pass away it will be eaten or rust or be taken off somewhere else sorry if that sounds depressing or hopeless but without faith in god without an understanding of what truly is wise and good and as jesus reveals to us it would lead to depression and a kind of nihilistic nihilism view of saying well what does it matter everything perishes eventually Jesus says there's an alternative. Lay for yourselves treasures in heaven, verse 20. Really important for us as Christians. Martin Luther, that great apologist and great uh, revolutionary of uh, five centuries ago or so, said this, really, really profound in his day and perhaps even more so today. He said there are three conversions necessary in Christian life. The conversion of the heart's. The conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse. I'm not just speaking to ladies here. Of these three, it may well be that we moderns, he was writing that 500 years ago, it may well be that we moderns find conversion of the purse the most difficult. Lay up treasures in heaven where forces of nature and human beings cannot destroy or take or Decimate. Invest your life, Jesus says, in what God is doing and what cannot be lost. Isn't that a wise strategy? Does that not make sense to us? Invest in things that can't be destroyed or rotted. Invest, in other words, in your relationship with Jesus. We will live for God or for others. We will live for God and their good or for ourselves in our self centered ways. And when we live for God in His ways, what we can do makes a difference within our power and our influence of, of what we can change with who we are and what we have. We can lay up for ourselves kingdom value. Isn't that great? It is great. Even with money. Look at what uh, Paul would write to the Galatian church in uh, chapter 6. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Treasuring up things on earth is not a clever strategy. And then he focuses about this amazing verse, verse 22, about heart sight and eyesight. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. The eye is like the map for the body, the lamp of the body. If the eye works well, what does he mean? If the eye works well, it's good for the rest of the body, isn't it? In other words, if you can see clearly... You will see where to go, how to navigate to avoid the obstacles and things that will hurt the body. Eyes are really important. Do you agree? Good. Moves easily in the environment. What Jesus is trying to drive at is that if we are seeking to lay up treasure in heaven with God, with the things that will last and are of eternal significance, then we will see with kingdom eyes. We will see with godly vision and see what is of true worth and true value. If you put your treasure not in God, in the things of this world that will rust or be stolen, will be eaten away. Treasure not in God. We see with our eyes, our eyes are distorted and looking in the wrong place. And that looking leads to kind of walking and falling over obstacles and living with bad practice. A really kind of strong example of of kind of the way that our belief, the way that what we look at and do defines our behavior. You only have to look at an addict, Someone who's addicted to, say, a substance, to heroin. You've heard the story again and again of how that addiction so controls and drives behavior and attitude and life, doesn't it? Everything becomes about getting enough money in order to get the fix for the next high. Damages relationships, damages view of possessions, damages the body, damages the soul and the spirit consumed in order to fulfill the addiction. Their and attitudes all subsumed in that one. The eyes are not seen clearly. The dangers of, of riches and wealth, Jesus says, bring worry. They make us vain and put our hope in false security. It leads to the oppression of weak people and indifference to the sufferings of the needy. Jesus has a lot to say. It's hard, he says, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because their treasure is elsewhere. Jesus calls his followers, you and me, to an inner freedom from this seduction to riches. He said it plainly. It's impossible to serve both God and money. Do you think Jesus teaches truth? Impossible to serve both. Jesus reminds us, Paul reminds us of sacrificial generosity. Command them to do good, chapter 6, verse 18. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. I've learned loads about generosity. Through my visiting and privilege to work overseas with people who have very little. It's again one of those consistent things. People go on the mission field on short-term, long-term, come back and say, I'm amazed by the kindness and generosity of people who have so little. I came across this one story of a a Korean family. A couple visiting in Korea saw a father and son working in the rice paddy. The old man guided the heavy plow as the boy pulled it. The visitor said, "I, I guess they're very poor to the missionary who was accompanying him. Yes, replied the missionary. That family is called Chi Nevi. When their church was built, they were eager to give something to it, but they had no money. So they sold their ox and gave the money to the church. This spring, they're pulling the plow themselves. After a long silence, the woman said, that was a real sacrifice. To which the missionary responded, they don't call it a sacrifice. They're just thankful they had the ox to sell. You see, Jesus speaks about the impossibility of serving God and of earthly things. We serve our treasures. We labor for them and think about them. They fill our dreams. People think that, well, in this Christian life, maybe we can do both. God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. Maybe for a time, yeah. But always, one will become subordinate to the other. Again and again, I found Jesus to be true and trustworthy. He's really plain here. You can't serve what both. you serve one or the other. We cannot have two ultimate goals. This is how life is, says Jesus. Nobody escapes. There is a conflict, therefore, as to which we will serve. What will you have to do if you choose? Put your treasure in money, treasure in other things, to be financially secure, to impress other people, to fulfill your desires. It will invariably lead you against God's wishes. In other words, in terms of worship language, it will become like a God who takes priority over the one true God. Don't do it. I love this quote by Spurgeon. It's a very serious thing to grow rich. Of all the temptations to which God's children are exposed, it is the worst, because it is the one that they do not dread. Believe me, there is no trial as great as no trial. It's profound, isn't it? Don't mishear me. We can value things. We all have treasures. But use them well for God. Where is your heart? It's about how we use our time. It's about how we use our gifts in terms of what we're good at, what we will invest in, in terms of of our mind and heart and will. And it is about that which we have, that which God has given us to us. Phil was talking last week about, about the principle of generosity. And said, we're not into legalism in this church. And and we're not. We're not going to turn to you and investigate your bank account and your savings and define a 10% thing. But I do believe that God wants us to be generous. I do believe, and I'll share my own practice not enforcing it or telling you this is what you must do. I, I learned very early on as a Christian... It was difficult as a student because my mum and dad paid my grant in those days. We didn't have student loans. Yes, that ages me. And, and my mum said to me, because they were giving me my grant, we don't want you giving any of that to the church. Because it was their money, they thought. And, and they gave it to me and I thought, well, they won't know, will they? <laughs> what well, they don't know won't hurt them. And I started as a student um, and it wasn't easy to, to start to give. It wasn't until I went on my action team, my gap year, that I began to to what we call tithe. Tithe is an old word that just means a tenth. And in that giving of a tenth, I found it quite easy at that point. Because with the BMS, they gave us pocket money every week. They gave us ten pounds. It's like, price is right. (laughs) And I thought, you know, in Zimbabwe, a pound was quite a lot. And I thought, actually, I have ten pounds, my maths is never brilliant. I could give away a pound to the church. That was easy. So my maths is sorted, 10 pounds, 1 pound. And 1 pound in Zimbabwe seemed not to make much difference. So I would give away a pound a week. And I found that 9 pounds was ample. And it began in me, this patterning, this following, this living my life according to, to God's ways. And actually I found that as I started to give, I wanted to give more to be a little more generous as opportunity arose. It became a little bit more challenging when I came back and got a job. A pro- well, my mum called it a proper job. Because um, <laughs> it had a job description and a contract. But anyway, uh, we, I was begun to be paid a little bit more, but it wasn't much as a youth worker. And then I, I went back to student. And then I started at, um, in Leicester as a minister there. Suddenly I had a s- proper salary for the first time. And rather than the pound, f- to make things simple, it was a hundred pounds, a tenth of what I was being paid then. And suddenly 100 pounds is a whole different factor, a whole different scale to one pound. But I thought, well, I believe in God. I trust God. I want to be faithful disciples. So that's what I did. And that's what made me my practice since. Now, don't mishear this and say I'm teaching you must. Because it came from my desire to honor God, my desire to love him, my desire to seek to live his ways. On the, the whole topic of giving, there's different teaching. That's okay. You go and explore it. Read the scriptures prayerfully before God. Say, God, what would you have me do? How would you teach me to be generous? How may I move from where I am now to more Christ-likeness? Recognizing that we live in a culture that is consumeristic, that is debt-ridden, that is so full of must-have, must-have. People have made choices with mortgages and credit cards and all those things. And and debt is a huge problem for us. And for me to say, you need to give 10% right now, might be impractical and unwise. But God does want you to be called to be generous in the area of giving. Why? Why does he say this? Well, one of the reasons... Why in the Old Testament, he said it was really good to bring the first of what you earn or grow or harvest or raise to him, is a recognition that all things come from God, all things. And he says, give me back in order to recognize, to symbolize that I'm dependent upon God, not self-sufficient, that I'm trusting in him, not in myself, that I'm, I'm yielding and being humble to God as my Lord and not self-driven and full of pride and ego that part of the act of generosity is an act of worship that says, I honor you first, and we'll live for you first. We can use our things to build treasure, now and in the kingdom, to use them well for God. Really simple ways. Malcolm's here. Yeah, it's great you're here, Malcolm. He's a treasurer. He does a brilliant job for us a church. We so appreciate that. One of the things he continually tells us, is that if you are a taxpayer, use gift aid. Use it well. Because you give maybe, you know, if you gave 100 pounds and you pay tax on it, the church would gain another 25 pounds. Isn't that great? You only give 100, but we're able to claim back another 25%, 25% of that gift. Use what you have well. It's simple to do. And Malcolm will explain the system and the process. He's over here. Wave for us, Malcolm, in case people don't know who you are. the question comes, so Edward, is it just storing up treasure for the future? When Jesus says, store for yourselves up treasure in heaven. When you look at Jesus' language about how he used the word heaven in Matthew, it doesn't just mean the then, the eternity, where you go when you, when you stop breathing and die. Jesus uses the words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand Now. Now. Yes, we do store up treasure for ourselves when we serve God and his ways and seek first his kingdom. But it isn't just a life insurance policy for the life after. But in the language that Jesus used, kingdom living is living in eternity from now on. From the present moment, the present tense, onward each and every day until we're called to be face to face with him. That we lead a life now that will last forever. What would you do if you had to choose between having good credit now with the bank and having good credit now with God? Which would you choose? For me, there's no hesitation. Let the bank go. store for yourselves treasure. True treasure. David Watson says this in his book on discipleship, a really great book. We desperately need individual Christians and churches continuously filled with the Spirit. Nothing can be a substitute for that. But if the life and love of Jesus are to be clearly manifest, and without this all our gospel words will be empty words... The church must learn again what it means to be the body of Christ on earth. It needs to demonstrate God's new society, marked by love and seen in the costly practical sharing of lives and possessions together. Money talks, not least in this covetous generation. When others see that our faith really means something in practical and material ways, then the good news of Jesus Christ will be very much more than religious words. James Baxter, in just in closing, says these things. The first Christians didn't start to share their goods in a free and full manner until after the balm of the Spirit exploded in their souls at Pentecost. Before then, they would be morally incapable of this free and joyful sharing. Listen to this. We see raising the dead as a major miracle, and it is. But it's equally powerful to say, this is yours, not mine. And carry those words into effect. Through these means, people will see the power and grace of God at work in our lives. Without such evidence of God's love amongst us, we shall have to accept E.M. Forster's rebuke, which he referred to, poor talkative little Christianity. When we get this kingdom way of living, this storing up, this reperspective, this re envisioning, this revolution that says, I will live for God and seek first his kingdom. And money will not be my God. Money will not be, and possessions and these treasures of the earth will not be my guiding principles, but the ways of Jesus will. Well, who knows what could be? We saw the power of the gospel in the early New Testament church. Wow, that was explosive. The task is the same. I want to close with just a little clip. And we'll sing our closing song and uh, free runners will, will come in. As you watch this, again, this isn't to make you Guilty but it is to inspire you. Father, we're open to you. Faith isn't about just big concepts. It's about living your ways. In this very real issue that is true for all of us, for the unemployed and the retired, for those with debt or plenty, for those who it's easy at the moment, for those, when it's really hard-pressed, this is real faith and life. And Thank you, Jesus, that you teach us about it. Thank you that you put us together to help each other when we have needs. But also to be good stewards of what you've given us. Money matters. And we pray that this church and us as individuals would understand and grow in generosity. We pray it regularly. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven. And this morning, in our hearts, too, and that which we have control and influence over, we submit to you. Amen. As young people come.